0: go. Prayer of guidance, if you all would join me in uh, saying that. Lord, Lord open, our open our hearts, hearts and minds, and minds be the by power the power of your Holy
1: Spirit, 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 Spirit. Spirit. That, that as, as the scriptures, scriptures are read and your,
0: and your word, word is proclaimed, is proclaimed we, we may, may hear, hear with joy, with joy what, what you, you say, say to, to us, us today. today. Amen. Amen. I came off this morning and I left my sheet at home where they print out the scripture but we have this beautiful Bible up here that I will be reading from Psalms 18 verses 1 and 2 and then 30 and through 32 I love thee Lord I love thee O Lord my strength the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold this god has <clears throat> this god his way is perfect the promise of the lord proves true he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him for god for who is god but the lord and who is a rock except our god the God who girded me with strength and made my way safe. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks. Mm-hmm. be to God. Amen. Well, I'm afraid to get up here this morning. There it says, do not fear. <laughs> uh, uh, this is going to be a little different. I don't know when. I've had just a, a, a a discussion. I think I've done this once before in the church since I've been here over the eight years, uh, but uh, give it an opportunity uh, for some questions. I'm going to uh, uh, try to uh, share with you some information I think that will be helpful as we go over the next few days with the uh, conference in St. Louis, and then in the aftermath, what might happen. And uh, I'm not going to get into all the various things that could happen. I'm not a prophet this morning. But I do want you to have some foundation for then, as we uh, as we try to interpret and perhaps grapple with what what is going to happen. And again, Thursday evening we have a uh, special council meeting here in the sanctuary, so everybody is welcome to come and to listen and to gather information. What I have noted over over time in uh, in various uh, settings is that people tend to have a very fuzzy idea of what how the United Methodist Church works, uh, the extent to how big this church is and how many places and lives it touches. And so uh, I want to uh uh be sure that uh that we are aware of some of these things. But before I get into that, I just want to say this scripture means a lot to me. Do not fear for I, God, have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. For a lot of pastors and clergy who are more closely related and keeping up to date over the last couple of years over uh, as this conference uh, approached, uh, there has been a genuine sense uh, of, of at times pessimism, uh, at, at at times uh, depression, at times just overwhelmed with the uncertainty of what is going to happen and what it might mean for the church, especially for those who are younger than me, because there are, are pastors in their 20, late 20s, uh, into their 30s and 40s, who still have a way to go in their ministry, and they're being told all of a sudden that, uh, as one young pastor said last week when I was visiting his church on last Sunday when I was in Woodbridge, he said uh, to his congregation, I am, I am not sure if in 10 days the United Methodist Church will exist. And so that puts a lot of uncertainty into folks' lives. I am at a, uh, an age where I could, I could retire. I'm eligible. I don't plan on retiring, but I, but I could. And uh, in actuality, at our Board of Ordained Ministry meeting, one of the things we do is approve retirements. Isn't that funny? People have to come to us for approval to retire. Sorry, sorry, we don't think you're ready. No, no. Um, I don't know we've ever disapproved somebody, but it's a formality that we do. It was the longest list of retirees I've ever seen in all years, and, and people going way back on the board could not remember when we had nearly so many retirees in one year. And we all knew what it was about. Was people were getting out while the getting was good. That was the way. It was this: just in case things collapse, I want to get out now. And uh, and our anticipation is that after the um, St. Louis conference is completed, depending on what happens, that list may get longer. People can still add their names to the list up in, up through June, so it could get much longer. Now, that speaks to many of the practical things how the church is being affected, even before anything has been decided, is that we will probably have a shortage of pastors here for a while, trying to replace all, all those, having fewer pastors this year come up to apply for ordination. We had far fewer pastors this year than in previous years. We know it's because people are waiting to see what's going to happen in St. Louis. So there's a lot of effect already being felt in this. But all through it, I want to not fear, even though this week I felt fear crouching at my door, even though it, it, you know, I was not like a a rock in terms of my confidence, I was more like whipped cream. Uh, it just, uh, feeling, uh, at times just going back and forth from not knowing how to act. You know, one of the things, and I'm not going to say I was clinically depressed, but one of the things you know when you are depressed about something or something is really occupying you, your mind races back and forth and you can't focus. And that was the way I felt this week. I really could not get it all together for this morning because there were so many things I wanted to say. And uh, I know that we don't have the time or the endurance uh, to hear hear all those things. So I chose to do a, a few things. One uh, in just a moment um, we're Going to share some slides up there that have some basic information about the United Methodist Church as it exists. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be some numbers, and also bear with this, but I won't be too long on this. And then I want to get into a discussion about what it is they're discussing out there and then answer, take your questions. We had some questions in the first service that were good questions, there are no bad questions. Well, if they are bad i 'll tell you but but uh, but uh, feel free to uh, to ask the things that uh, may occur to you as you see these various statistics and all and After I give you these few slides, remind me if i don 't Lydia yell at me say three options and i 'll remember that I want to cover. Three basic options that are before us before we go into the questions. So, uh, go to the first slide. This, the conference out there is a special session, you can see that, which does not happen in our United Methodist Church because general conferences are expenses, are expensive. They have tried in various ways to keep the cost down on this one, but it still costs $3.6 million out of the church's money. That's even as people contribute and pay for their hotel rooms and all. It still costs us that much. So it's an expensive thing to do. That tells you how important what we're discussing is. How important it is and how crucial that we come to some sort of decision at this point. So, uh, and a way forward has been the terminology that they have used for the last couple of years. Saying this is what we're trying to do. We're seeking a way to move forward together. Can we do that? Or are we going to have to move forward apart from each other? So, uh, go ahead to the next slide there. This is a very interesting, uh, slide and I know it's small and so I'll kind of give you some indication of what's up there if you have trouble, uh, reading it. It's, uh, you does everybody recognize the United States there? Okay, I'm pretty sure. And then you've got Russia and, uh, you've got, uh, uh, Korea. Uh, down in there you 've got all the Eastern European states and as well as uh, uh, Northern Europe all there you see thats there are United Methodist churches there the The number of United Methodists there is pretty small, even though in places like russia it 's growing very quickly. but you know there weren 't any churches up there not too long ago, so that is growing qu- quickly in some of those places Germany. Uh, only has 28,000 United Methodists. Uh, in comparison, Virginia has uh, over 200,000 just in our state. And we are okay. one of the, the biggest areas of United Methodism in the country, right, right here in Virginia, um, uh, leading state along with Georgia. Uh, or not Georgia, Texas. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to slight Texas. Um, so uh and and you see down there in Africa you see a lot of countries where there are United Methodist churches. Those numbers there, West Africa, the Congo, and then and then just general Africa, other other countries in Africa, all together that amounts to uh about 56, uh I mean 5,600,000. The United States is at 6.8 thousand. So there's only a million difference there, and here's what really is striking. Those numbers in Africa, eight years ago, were less than half of the totals you see now. The church in Africa, the United Methodist Church in Africa, has exploded to, to grow to more than double in eight years. That's astounding. The Philippines, with 207,000, that's also a place where the church is growing very rapidly. Now, uh, you see in the, in the United States, North Central, Northeastern, and the Western are all fairly small. If you put them all together, they don't add up to what you see in the South Central. Uh, they might come close. Then in the Southeastern, which is our jurisdiction, there are 2.6 million, uh, United Methodists by far the largest jurisdiction in this area. Now, the numbers are a little bit significant because if you take the South Central and Southeastern together, that's over 4 million United Methodists. If you take the other three conferences, which I'm going to just say that in general terms, people consider them to be the more liberal. The Southern conferences are more conservative, more liberal uh, up in the North and in the West. They only amount to 1.5 million. Lydia, where were we going there? Okay, she, she wants me to shut up. I've got too much on this on this one. But the reason I'm telling you that is then when it comes to voting, you kind of have blocks that vote. The southern United States will vote with the Africans and the Filipinos. Okay, the, uh, the western United States is more likely to vote. Uh, their greatest chance for allies are in those European, North Euro- Europe areas. Except for... Uh, Uh, if they had Korea, I think I said Korea was in there earlier. I didn't mean to say that. Korea is not part, the Korean Methodist Church is not part of the United Methodist Church. And that's an interesting thing. There are 12 million United Methodists in the world. There are 80 million Methodists. Every church out there, Wesleyan Church, Church of the Nazarene, who are part of the World Conference of Methodists, add up to 80 million people. And the United Methodist Church is just 12 million of them. So there are other Methodist churches out there or people who go by the Wesleyan uh, means of uh, of grace and believing uh, that we should be disciplined and, and all those things that make a Methodist church a Methodist church. So uh, there's a much larger family of Methodist church, uh, churches out there. I went to the Korean Methodist church a few years back. We took a delegation from our United Methodist churches to go over there, and they were Methodists, but they were not United Methodists. So just to tell you, not every Methodist in the world is a united Methodist, and it won't be but in the next two years that there will be more united Methodists in Africa than there are here. All that affects the voting, how how the voting goes. Uh, and I'll quickly tell you this, back around 2000 at the General Conference, the more Progressive parts, or liberal, I don't much like that word, but the progressive parts, I don't like that word either. I don't like any of these labels. But in the West and in the North, very much lobbied to have the Africans, uh, the African United Methodists become a, a regular part, be able to vote. Up to that time, they were now not allowed to vote in the general conference. The only ones who voted were from the U.S. We said, we're a global church, we need to include everybody. You know, inclusivity is a good thing. Let's bring everybody in. So they brought, so they made the United Methodists in Africa uh, voters. It came back to sort of hurt them because they did not put the the church then in Africa was fairly small. What happened was the reason the U.S. delegates, most of whom would favor uh, getting rid of the restrictive language around homosexuality are outvoted by the combination of the southern United Methodists in the U.S. getting together with the African delegates and the Filipino delegates, the more conservatives. So that's why that language has stayed in for so long, is because of these sort of voting blocks. It gets very political. And that, for me, can be a very discouraging thing to notice as people go in supposedly to have holy conversation in St. Louis but you know they're already politicking behind the scenes. And that's one of the discouraging things about it. Lydia, go to the next one. Okay, this just real quick, you can see that these are the five jurisdictions of the United Methodist Church, if you can distinguish colors there. And that gold over there and the blue part in the middle that includes Texas. That tends to be your more conservative, conservative areas in it. But also note that as big as that Western Conference is over there, uh, they have one-twentieth the number of United Methodists as you would have uh, in, 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 a, in, uh, in the southeastern jurisdiction. So while geographically those are big areas, the north and the west, their portion of the United Methodist Church is, is pretty small and 2. Okay, next one. I think we're just about done. The other thing I'll point out is that if you look at the northern jurisdictions, north central northeastern and at the bottom the western and you look at their percentage of loss of members over the last uh uh well in 2016 that was a loss uh in in just uh uh 4 years. That loss uh percentage is greatest in the west and the north. And in the southern churches, the southern churches, while we have lost, we have relatively been uh much smaller decrease in membership and all, too. Uh, so let's uh, just say, again, where strengths are and weaknesses are in terms of membership and all. Go to the next one. I think that's the last. So we're back to this. Okay. So what do I like about being a United Methodist? I'll just share this with you real quick because there can be a lot of doom and gloom around this. And, oh, we got all these problems. Why did I, why in the heck did I, I, uh, oh I shouldn't say that, I got people looking at me now. Why in the, forgive me, Uh, why in the world did I jump into this frying pan? Well first of all when I was, uh, I think I was 34, I've tried to think of when I became a United Methodist, it was somewhere around there, you think that's right? because then I was like 42 when I was called, so I think I was about six to eight years before my call. Uh, Anyways, when I was called, I'll tell you, these are the things I liked about the United Methodist Church. I loved the emphasis on grace and love. There wasn't much of that in the independent churches that I grew up in. Uh, Just, it, it was more about do the right thing, but it wasn't about... God is a God of grace, and it's his grace that brings us to him, his prevenient grace. He reveals himself to us, that he's actually a God who is active in our lives and not just sitting back waiting to see if we make any mistakes. So I love that. That's an emphasis of John Wesley. I read all that. That was good. The other things that I like uh, had to do with how we appoint pastors. You know, if you're in most churches and the pastor leaves, it can take months or years for you to get a new pastor. You get a, you have to appoint a committee and a search committee and you interview and you have people come and do trial sermons and you know I would hate to do that as a pastor. I'd hate to be out there, you know, going church to church cuz I make a terrible first impression. I'd never get hired. And that first impression lasts a few years, so it's really hard to get past it. But uh uh but I like that idea that churches always had a pastor in the church, that if your pastor leaves within the week, you've got another pastor coming in. Uh, I, thought, I thought that was great. And also, believe it or not, I like the fact that the church didn't necessarily choose the pastor. But it was, a, it was the bishop and the district superintendents all together looked at that church and looked at everything and said, we think that, that Bob would be good there. And they knew me better than the church. And and, and and to tell you the truth, sometimes churches divide over, over trying to find a new pastor. They get into fights about it. And growing up, I can remember some search committees that really did a bad job and chose pastors that did not in any way fulfill what that church needed. So I like that idea. Uh, I like the uh, itinerancy that... Uh, I, I was a pastor for the whole United Methodist Church in Virginia, that I you know, could go to any church and be their pastor. Uh, the other thing is accountability. I had seen in independent churches that there was a tendency for the churches not to be accountable to anyone outside of themselves. So if you had a pastor who was going a little bit, you know, to left field or or was all of a sudden ambition had overtaken him and you were doing some wild things. I like the idea that there was some people out here who were looking out for you and saying, you know what, we need to call Bob in and kind of talk to him about that idea. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not, but we're wondering about what it's doing to the church. Or they're having fights in that church. There's a, there's a great division. We need to send somebody in there who can go in to counsel that church. And we've got people who specialize in that, in the United Methodist Church. They can come in a church that's fractured and try to help them. If you have had a, 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 a bad experience with the pastor in a United Methodist Church, they now have a, a thing where for 18 months, they will send in a pastor who will be your transitional pastor who has been trained in coming in after a bad uh, experience between pastor and congregation and bringing peace and helping them to get past that. So we have a lot of good things. UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, United Methodist Volunteers in Mission, a lot of good things. A lot of things to hang on to the United Methodist Church. Now, where I think we're, we're falling down is, uh, comes out of a couple of things. One is we may be too big. We may be trying to hold together too big of a tent of, of people from different cultures, and because their cultures are very different, they bring those cultural prejudices into the tent, and suddenly you have all that friction going on. The other thing is bureaucratically, when you have this big of an organization, bureaucracy tends to grow, and people justify their positions and and, and uh, it, it may not be as efficient in fulfilling the mission. Uh, those are a couple of things that I think are hurting us right now the other thing the one other thing and i've seen this on the board of ordained ministry and it's well known i mean you can you know, seminaries have grown progressively more progressive liberal if you will in their views and so it's not uncommon for us to get somebody who doesn't believe that the bible is actually god's word doesn't believe the bible has value and they'll state that to us. We've had somebody just recently state to us they did not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we've had these things popping up all over the place. And so our younger pastors tend to be in a more, uh, in an area that frightens some of us older people who, you know, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, you know, I mean, we were born, this is God's word, and suddenly we're being, we're, we're seeing this, uh, we're all over the place. And it's, uh, it's a little bit scary. Uh, and it's, it's scary to have pastors come before us who cannot articulate, cannot say, Jesus is my Savior. Cannot say he died on the cross for my sins. Cannot say these things. They're not sure if it's true or not. Um, so we have a lot of theological tension in the church right now. Uh, so that in part with the uh, with the tension over varying views on human sexuality. That is is all one thing. The focus is on the human sexuality. This session is supposed to be specifically uh, focused on that. But for me, there are other concerns theologically outside of that that, uh, that need to be addressed. But you have some people who are going to say we need to address them in a way where those those teachings that I might believe violate uh United Methodist belief, they may want to see those increase and I want to see them <laughs> eliminated. So we're gonna we're gonna have conflict for quite a while, even past this special session, uh just depending on what happens. Okay, any questions? Anybody have any questions? I wanna leave time for that. Anybody have any questions? Yes, Sandy. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. That's exactly the question somebody asked in the first service. So that's, that's pretty good. Um, that um, I don't remember if they asked it during or if it was after, but it was that was asked um, in the case on the uh, physical resurrection of Jesus. And this is a person actually who is serving a church out west. Usually, all of our interviews are with people serving in Virginia, but he 's from Virginia, but he did his schooling and now he 's doing his pastoring in Washington state so we think some of the reason he said that was because of the beliefs and the influence of the churches out there so uh, uh but no he uh, he has to fly back to Virginia in May and he has to defend his his uh, his position and if he cannot uh, if he cannot uh, align his beliefs with that, then uh, the only thing I'll say about him, praise God for somebody who said what he believed, even though he knew, <laughs> he knew it was going to uh, cause problems in the interview. Uh, I'm suspicious sometimes that some people are saying things because they know that's what they need to say versus what they really believe. Uh, the other one, the resurrection, oh, the one on the Bible, he was also, he was from California, California. Um, uh, You know, just a little trend of two there (laughs) that happened to be from out there. And he said that the Bible was a a dusty old antique with with little or no relevance to today's world. And so we sent him back to California (laughs) and did not approve him in Virginia. But he can change over to the California conference. And they have a bishop who has said that Jesus was not perfect, that Jesus grew. He got angry. He sinned. But but as he grew, he learned, and God saw him. It's called adoptionism. It's an old her- heresy that God adopted him, basically said, this guy is my son. And um, that, so they have a bishop who's that far out doctrinally, so he, he might get approved out in California. Again, this is the strain between areas. You can go down into Georgia and go into United Methodist Church and swear you were in a Baptist Pentecostal church. I mean, it's it's you know, it's 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 just striking the differences between churches. So uh, uh, okay, in, any other question? Does that answer? To yeah, yeah. Neither of them will go through, and le- except the guy from Washington State. We gave him the grace to come back. He has to write a five-page paper and su- submit it first, and then fly back and be interviewed again. So. Okay, yeah.
0: you guys. Oh. My question is, if, if you all belong to the same denomination or group or whatever, why is everyone's beliefs so differing, one, and two, why are they allowing them to be creatures if their beliefs are different than everyone?
1: Right. Well, first of all, we're trying not to allow people if they stray outside of this area. But some people get through, and then their beliefs change, or they get through and they simply told us what we, we we're aware of this. Uh, they told us what they thought we wanted to hear. Um, and thank you for being here today. And uh, you know, I'm from that non-denominational background too, so I can I can see the two. The thing is, we have. Um, a book of discipline, like a, a, a non-denominational church might have their constitution or they'll have, this is what we believe. We have that book that says, this is what we believe. What we have had happening, especially over the last 10 years or so, is that some of the conferences have not enforced the book, so the rules. So rules are not being, or they, they enforce it, they go to a jurisdictional court, which we actually have that. And the court lets the person off easy. We had an instance here in Virginia where when a uh, pastor did uh, uh, a gay marriage, they were simply suspended for a month with pay. And then uh, that was it. And uh, that seemed, you know, I I would like to be suspended for a month with pay if y'all would do that to me. So it, we almost felt like we were giving a reward. And again, this is aside from what they were disciplined for, it 's the lack of discipline it 's the lack of abiding by I may disagree with the church on this, but i 'm a United Methodist pastor, and I am bound to obey or to leave you know and uh, so we 've had a lot of instances of people, not uh, uh, pastors and conferences not enforcing the discipline in fact, and i 'll get into this lydia hasn 't said it yet, but the three options. One of the options is called the Modified Traditional Plan. It's essentially keeping everything the way it is in our discipline concerning human sexuality, but, in, but putting in ways to enforce it. So it would have to be enforced and there would be penalties if a conference refused to enforce it. And so that is because they have seen that is the problem that we have. It's not so much what is in the discipline from their perspective, it's the fact that it's not being enforced so you're you're you know that was a good observation a good good question yep yeah. what's that yeah yeah the other two one's called the open plan uh that's kind of considered the um the uh the favorite if we go with the more progressive liberal approach is the open plan which uh uh takes the language that's currently in out of the discipline but allows each church to decide two things whether you would allow a gay marriage in your church and whether or not a gay pastor would could serve your church now originally i thought that meant that there would be churches who would say we don't, we don't believe that that uh, you know we don 't approve of homosexuality, we believe it 's a sin we don 't want a pastor who is live actively living an avowed lifestyle of homosexuality, but what i 've learned in reading more closely is what they 've said is you could still receive a gay pastor in a church that said that because the appointment is up to the bishop. The bishop will take that into consideration but the bishop may say you know they're kind of on the fence or they're here or we think this would be the best person for there despite the difference we're going to put them in this uh uh you know this happens sometimes churches go why in the world did they appoint this person here and uh, you don't always get the person that you you want or what you told the bishop you wanted the type of person so um so that's uh the, that's the one church plan those are the two things now a lot of people on the Conservative side oppose it because they see, yes, it does allow you to make that that individual choice. But when, for instance, I as a pastor might go to a conference event, if, I, if your youth went to the youth event uh, for the conference, if you go to district events, it may, be, it may be totally supportive of something you don't believe in. The Presbyterian Church in Virginia recently had a, a youth conference, And this comes from a former pastor of this church whose wife works for the Presbyterian Church, and they had a uh, transgender uh, boy come up, 11 years old, and he had decided his gender. And they brought him up, and everybody, you know, stood and applauded for him. Uh, So, uh, and and I don't want to get into transgenderism, which is different from other things, but the thing was it he said it made me aware that what are they going to do if the conference is okay with this but your church isn't but you send your youth to it but the conference maybe has speakers or something who are supporting something that your church has said we don't believe so it's 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 going to be more confusing i think the idea is over the years that the people who were the more conservative churches would eventually kind of filter out over time and um, that eventually everybody would be of the same mindset. Uh, so that's the open plan. And then the, the third one I won't even get into. It's it's a very, actually it's genius, but it would be so complicated to carry out. Nobody seems to want to vote for it. But it, it it's actually, to me, kind of the fairest. To put it bluntly, what it would do is it would take every church in America that supported the current language in the discipline, the restrictive language around homosexuality, we would all be grouped together. The church could be in California and we're in Virginia, but we're on the same conference. So the conferences are no longer geographical, that map I showed. The conferences are according to your views. And they actually had three categories, so you'd have three types. You could choose which churches you want to align with. Now, that works actually in our Internet age, (laughs) Because instead of having meetings physically together, you could do everything over the internet, and you know, but it's also, people realize, it'd be very complicated to do that too. And then what would happen is, the reason you would have that, you say, well, that sounds like you're dividing the churches up. Well, overall, things like UMCOR and UMVIM, that the people from each group would jointly support. They would support the things where their theological beliefs didn't really matter. They would support those together but then they would also have the ability to, to work together side by side with people who shared their beliefs. Uh, the one other thing I'll say about that is we have never in the United Methodist Church done anything like that where, or given churches the individual choice around a theological belief. We, we, we don't have anything here today where we've decided something and New Hope United Methodist Church has, they're, they're in a different camp on it. Um, that's, that's not the way it is. So we're setting a huge new um, uh, standard here for our church. So who knows what's going to happen. It's very likely that there will be uh, a lot of uh, roadblocks set up over the next few days, that nothing will happen. And then churches are going to have to decide, as some have over the last, after the 2016 conference, some churches in the United States said, we're out of here. We're independent Methodists now, and we're, we can't do this anymore. And there were some very large churches, churches in Mississippi and others. Um, did Jeff, did you have something?
2: Yeah. So what is the current status or, or about homosexuality?
1: There's a, I wish I, had, I should have brought the discipline up, because there's a, a long paragraph that talks about that all persons are people of sacred worth, and loved by God, deserving of respect. So it's going into this whole thing to make clear that what, what they're about to say is not, does not say that in any way you should abuse or hate or disrespect somebody because of their, their preferences in this regard. But then the one sentence that has been consistently in there since 1972, this is the point of, of conflict. And that one sentence is, and by the way, I was just uh, thinking about something. Uh, remind me in a moment to say trust clause, and then that's going to be the last thing we say because y'all. Are, I heard a stomach growl. Um, the uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the yeah, the sentence says that the practice of homosexuality is, is incompatible with Christian teaching. I've got that memorized. That's that's what it says, and. The two restrictions then that means is it doesn't mean that a a a, a person in a gay relationship can't walk through those doors. Very often you see a picture and the doors are bolted and we're not can't come through the doors, can't worship in, in with the congregation, can't you know, somehow would be treated as a leper but it does have two restrictions one is on the the gay marriage and and part of that's just a theological understanding of what marriage is in the bible between the man and the woman and you know what the purpose was and so forth and because it's never mentioned in scripture either there's no there, there's nothing there that would say this is this is something to be celebrated in a in a in a religious way then the other uh uh restriction is on being clergy if you're in an active now, they you use that word, if you're a avowed, practicing, homosexual, you cannot be a pastor. You cannot be ordained. You can't be a deacon. And deacons are also ordained as deacons. That's a whole other office that we don't have in our church. But you can't do that. It doesn't say that you can't uh, uh, be on the church board. It doesn't say any of those things because we're all sinners. And there are people in here, I'm sure, who are committing uh, sins of a sexual nature. Have nothing to do with homosexuality it doesn 't say that, but it has those two uh, restrictions: clergy and a, and a marriage ceremony and so that 's where that 's where everything kind of came to a head uh, so that that is that is the restriction now avowed practicing means somebody could come and say, Listen, I have had that orientation for as long as I can remember, but I am not going to be in a, a gay relationship as a pastor I will you know, and uh, I will not uh, uh. and the other thing, the word avowed means that we can 't say, "Gee, I think that Tom over there, wow, he seems a little gay to me, and bring an accusation against him. It only happens if the person says, "Listen, this is who I am, and you need to know that, but uh, uh, churches such as Willow Creek and others have people on their staff who are openly uh, uh, gay, but they also have agreed to take vows of cel- celibacy, which to me that seems <laughs> a huge thing to ask of someone. But there are people out there doing that on staffs. But the United Methodist Church right now, uh, th- that's the that's the restriction. So is that okay? I mean, I, I was like, okay, do you agree? But does that help? Okay, uh, trust clause, and then we'll we'll, we'll close you wonder, well, why haven't more United Methodist churches left over the year? Why is it that we're the largest mainline church? Well, because John Wesley was a genius. Back in England, as he was forming, and and some of the churches began to build these little chapels, simple little things, he realized that some of those little groups were going to take ownership of those things. So what he did was every Methodist group had to sign the trust clause and what it said and he had a lawyer draw it up in England and everything that historically is still it's come across to America it's been enforced it says that this property is held in trust for the United Methodist Church it's it, it doesn't belong to us the co- local congregation we are holding it in trust and people will say well i'm going to make the argument for the trust clause here we aren't the only people who have cared for this building. Generations of people have cared for this building. And they may disagree with us. And so we're taking it as we say, well, we built it. Did we really? Who built it? I mean, Larry built some of it. You know, some of you, <laughs> look around. Parts of it. But this is, and also, many churches received aid from other congregations when they were building. And uh, uh, for aisle seven, we received $100,000 from the conference. And they paid the salary of our pastor for the first few years. That was the people all over. So it's, it's you know. So this is this trust clause says we can't simply one day change the sign out front, write a letter to the bishop and say we're no longer United Methodist, and that's it. No, they could take us to court and hold on to the property. Now, what's happening in St. Louis around that, there are a lot of proposals called gracious exit plans, which say it says if a church decides to exit the denomination, that they could keep their property or that they could negotiate with the conference on, on what would happen with the property. And it may be in Mississippi, two very large churches that had a lot of money owned on their property. One had just built a new building. These were like the biggest churches in Mississippi. One owed, owed $4 million dollars. Well, the conference doesn't want their debt. and all too. So what the conference said was pay apportionments the amount of two years of apportionments. That's kind of our, um, uh, what we pay to the denomination to take care of denominational grants. For us, it's about $70,000 each year right now. If you would pay that for two years, you can keep the property. That would be quite a deal for this property right here. And to tell you the truth, the, the the conference won't want some of these churches out there. They're way down a country road, and they were built in 1830, and they're falling apart. They don't want those properties. I think they would want this one. We've got five acres of land next door, uh, you know. So, so they would probably want this. So that would be if things went that far down the road, a consideration that every church has had to think about is if we leave, we leave as a people which is, we always say, the people are the church, right? But we don't necessarily get the, the property, at least not without some negotiation and some cost. So um, uh, just bringing that up to everybody. Uh, they say that's why, you know, Baptist churches, how did they grow? Division. You know, I, I saw it growing up. You know, uh, you leave today and say, well, boy. That preacher, he was so way off. I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I'm going to leave and start another church. And then you start going around and recruiting people. And before you know it, you've got 10 or 12 dissatisfied people. And you go off and you meet in a house for a while. Then you build your building. And now you've got a new Baptist. That's how they plant churches. Now, I'm not picking on the Baptists here because it's worked. But generally, because... Uh, they don't, their property is owned by the local congregation. They, don't have to, they could move from Southern Baptist to Independent Baptist to, to whatever they want to in a minute. It doesn't matter. But the trust clause has helped us stay in the denomination, even through rough times when maybe we may have been too precipitous, too quick to leave. It said, slow down, think about it for a minute. And if it's important enough, you might say, we'll just go build someplace else or we'll at least try to negotiate. So, anyways, that's a wonderful spiritual note to end on today. Anybody else? Yes, yes. I've been looking at this.
2: I've been a Methodist since I was 12 years
1: old. I'll, I'll repeat things for y'all in the back because I realize.
2: I've been studying this too. And it looks like every option, other than the one church plan that each individual church decides, is going to sign, uh-huh. it's gonna actually affect the colleges, the seminaries, the old folks' homes, the low-income housing that our church, the United Methodist Church, right. contributes to. Because yep. you're going to lose churches yep. on any other churches, even on the one church planet. and Let's give you an example. Because you were talking about mm-hmm. Mount Sydney. Is that the one you brought up a minute ago? Uh, New Hope. New Hope. Okay. Let's assume... This is just the assumption
1: that this church. Yes, yeah, this is an assumption, what he's about to say about New Hope. It's not actually happening. Am right. I correct? Well, okay. It not here, it's not happening here. Because I don't want anybody to go out and say, Did you hear about New Hope? No, no. Okay. Now, let's
2: just assume that this church would say, Okay, we are going to accept. It. We're going to be the liberal side. Okay. Is that the best way to put it? Okay. That's the simplest. And there's some people in this church who are probably going to not like
1: that. Right. And will
2: probably quit coming to this church. Okay. But they would have, and let's say New Hope or Bridgewater or I don't care what church, they said, We want the traditional church. Mm-hmm. Some of their people are gonna say, "Well, I'm not coming if you don't accept uh, gay marriage." I use that as an example. They can come to a church that does. The Methodists that don't can come to a church that doesn't. And the whole conference and the whole United Methodist Church keeps their members because I'm afraid any other thing you're gonna lose
1: yeah.
2: a good portion of the membership.
1: So this this is kind of a speech in favor <laughs> speech. Uh, like we're at a thing. This is a comment that in favor of the one church plan, uh, which says each local church decides. And then what you'll have is maybe some people from New Hope who don't like what New Hope decide. They may move over here. Or, or, or people may say, you know what, this is my church. I'm staying no matter what, and uh, I'm just going to live with this. Uh, but the one church plan gives you those options. Uh, the, uh, there are some difficulties, uh, and, and you brought up the United Methodist Colleges. There's 90-some colleges in this country that were started by the United Methodist or by Methodist churches, including Duke. And they just came out with a statement a couple of weeks ago, United, all those churches said, we want the United Methodist Church to take away any restrictions on homosexual uh, uh, behavior by clergy or and, and, and to have gay marriage and everything. That was a strong statement. Now, here's the irony of that. For years, Duke, you can see in their in their pamphlets, and I went to seminary down there. They have they have a Methodist seminary. They have disassociated themselves from the United Methodist Church every way that they could. They think it's a negative thing to say that they're a United Methodist College, and so it, you see in their brochures they tell about the the uh, history of their college, but how it has moved away, and now it's you know very it's a very liberal sem- seminary. All, all of our seminaries are pretty liberal in that regard. So they've come out. In that. There are those institutions, the nursing homes, the, the different things the United Methodist Church has done that uh, will be affected by this. Um, there are still ways, even in the other plans, that they could still receive support. But the fact of the matter is, Duke University, what the support they get from the United Methodist Church is a drop in the bucket compared. So they really don't, Care in that sense financially, uh, whether or not they are United Methodist or not. And then you have uh, others like uh, Asbury, which is a much more traditional seminary out in Wilmore, Kentucky. That would probably be fine, and would be supported by the traditional churches that go. But that's a good observation. Is you know there are strengths in each of those areas. There, uh, the traditional plan, the big strength is nothing changes except the fact that some people are going to be so angry they're going to leave because they wanted it to change. So any way we go, there's going to be be some of that. Now, here's my final thing f- for y'all, what I said in the first service. At times, I'm sick to my stomach that we're going through this. I also uh, uh, realized that, you know, my thought for this week was Psalm 18 and that, that the Lord, you know, and then Isaiah 43, you know, the Lord's called us. Do not fear, uh, don't fear anything. The only one, the only time we're told to fear in the Bible is to fear God. Nothing else deserves our fear. And so I'm really not afraid, but I'm sad. I've been sad thinking that our church might have some folks who won't be here. Any way it goes any way it goes, that our church would lose people because of this. And just as a pastor, I mean, you know, pastor is what? That means shepherd. You, you, you don't want to lose your sheep. And so I, I just vow to you as pastor, I'm going to do everything I can that we stay together. And I know some of you are even better at doing that than I am that you will work hard to make sure, and that we do it because we respect each other, we love each other, and we offer each other's other grace, and we're not going to do some of what I have observed in other places and at our conference out in St. Louis when I was live streaming yesterday. We're not going to be in your face, you were wrong, get out of here kind of attitudes. And that includes people who uh, walk into our church new the first thing I'm not going to ask some. The first thing I'm going to ask somebody is not. Could you tell me your uh, sexual orientation? That's that's not it. That, maybe third, but not first. You know, no. You know, to tell you the truth, there are deeper things of the spirit that I care more about. And I also realize that if we were truthful, the evil in this world is so deep, and it is so masqueraded at times that we're not fully aware of it but if we all had to pay the price for our sins, if we all had to were held culpable for what we have done by God, wouldn't be any of us here. And so uh so I want to extend grace, but at the same time I want to hold to God's word. And that is a hard tension to maintain. How do I show grace but at the same time recognize God as a holy God and God says things sometimes I don't want to do I You know, but he said it. How do we do that together? And so, if we can together as a congregation wade through those waters and walk that road together, maybe we'll come out together on the other end. Uh, But uh, uh, and I vow not to retire unless God retires me, or for uh, at least another six weeks. Okay, so. Any other question? Any other comments before we go? Anything on anybody's heart? This is what you came expecting this morning, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's what it all comes down. A lot of it's about the money, is what's being said, and I. Agree. It's that way in most everything in life, isn't it? In this country, at least, it's all all about the money. And um, one of the things I'll just is because of that, one of the African speakers at a. At a at a dinner or a breakfast. It was a breakfast Saturday morning out there in St. Louis. He said, uh, we will not be bought. In other words, our votes are not going to be bought because what is brought up to them very often is the African churches receive a lot of aid from the U.S. And if you don't go with us. And so he said, he said in the, as the speaker at this breakfast, he said, we know how to live simply. We know how to live without better than you do and we don 't need to be taught we don 't need to be uh to, to be bought and uh I thought that was interesting, so, but that shows you the depth of some of the sort of the the politics to this, the pressures and the presence of money as uh as something i mean i mean let 's face it, the bishops get paid, so their jobs are at stake uh, and I get paid and uh so for some people it is it is more. Uh, that is, you know, one of the things that's in the back of their mind. So, uh, in any event, but uh, I know you guys would continue to pay me even if I was gone. So, amen. And let us go in God's peace and maintain the unity of the Spirit and our love for God, for his word, and for the church, which upholds that word. Go in his peace and amen.